Thank you for coming to church tonight. Thank you for putting God first in your life and making him a priority. I believe, as I told you this morning, because you made God a priority on your Sunday and you put him at the top of your list, your work week and all the things you'll be facing from this moment on will be so much better because you honored God. If you believe that, can somebody just, just shout amen? amen? Amen. And turn with me to the book of Luke, the seventh chapter and the 36th through the 47th verse. Get your Bible out and turn it on, as we said this morning. And follow along or follow along on the screen. Title of the message, Honor Leads the Way. We say that with me? Honor leads the way. Say it again. Honor leads the way. And I want to speak to you how honor is the currency of elevation that God uses in your life. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Jump to verse 44. Then he turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus says to her, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. I want to speak to you on how honor is the currency of elevation. Church, when you develop a culture of honor in your family and in your life, you are operating in a godly principle that will affect every area of your life. It will affect your marriage. It will affect your ministry. It will affect your neighborhood and your church. It will affect every single person you come in contact with. I believe that honor is the currency that God brings or uses to bring elevation. If you want to see or you want to ascend to any level of influence, you must learn that heaven's currency and favor is based on honor. And throughout Scripture, you can see the concept of honor woven deep into the fabric of God's Word, from Genesis to the Revelation, in our conversations, in the way we treat people, at home, at work, at the grocery store. Everything we do as a Christian, we must carry this gift of honor to those that are all around us. If you see someone doing a good job, honor them by telling them they're doing a great job and do it right then and there. Recognize them. Give them, a cred- give them credit in front of all of the others that are around. This brings honor, and you're just not doing it for them. You're not doing them a favor. You're doing yourself a favor. When you show honor, there's a commanded blessing released into your own life. For instance, when someone is at the grocery store at Walmart, and they go in, and they're in the 10 items or less line, and you notice they've got more than 10 items, well, don't get all upset. Just allow them to go first. That's called preferring one another. It's a simple way to show and grow the habit of giving honor in your life. Honor those in authority by doing what they ask. Honor the ushers by sitting where they ask and not arguing. You say, well, you know, I shouldn't have to sit in that area. They don't know who I am. I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. No, that's why you don't have very many pieces left. You've given them all away. Show honor by respecting the position. You may not agree with the policy, but because you're a person of honor and godlike character, You respect the authority, and you do it anyway. 
And that carries over to politics that you watch on TV. Key point, friends. I have found that the amount of honor that you show, motivated by a good heart, will be directly related to the amount of God's favor that you receive in your life. Hear it again. The amount of honor that you show, motivated by a good heart, will be directly related to the amount of favor that God releases back into your life. See, it's like a heavenly bank account, and God keeps amazing books. God is the ultimate CPA. He always brings everything back into account. However, if you're a Scrooge McDuck with giving honor, and you say things like, well, I can't possibly give them credit. It'll make me look bad in the eyes of the boss. In 30 years of ministry, you'd be so surprised to know how many times I've heard that from family members who say, I can't give my brother credit in front of my mom and dad. I can't give this family member credit. It'll make them look better in the eyes of my parents. Can't do it. Well, then, friend, you won't see God's favor in your life like you should. And favor is nothing more than unmerited grace. Instead, you're making withdrawals from your heavenly leadership bank account, and you soon will be operating in the red. And these withdrawals, they hinder your character. They take away from God's ability to give you influence and to give you wisdom in your life, simply because you can't be trusted to build up the people that are all around you on a daily basis. Dear friends, make no mistake about it. God wants to use you to better others. God wants to use you as his hand extended. He wants to use you to flow through you, to see people healed and set free, to speak life into those that are all around you. However, can he trust you to speak life into the ones that he's putting you in contact with on a daily basis? Can he trust you? Not in a way that is manipulative so you can advance. Please understand, God sees the heart of man. And each and every one of us have met someone, either on the job or at school or maybe a neighborhood or a boss. We've all met someone that the only reason they're nice is they're trying to advance their own agenda. They're only out for themselves. And how many know it's only a matter of time before you see right through that charade and you realize, well, this person is not sincere. This person is manipulative. And that does more damage than good Because you say, well, listen, if this is really a Christian, then I want nothing to do with it. No, friend, that's not what we're talking about. That'll do more damage than anything. On the other hand, when you're giving with honor, operating out of a heart of generosity and a Christ-like love, and you're always giving people credit and treating them with respect, building them up and planting seeds of positive life into them. People will see that as well, and they'll be genuinely understand, and they'll say, oh, well, that's the warmth of Jesus flowing through you. Now, granted, they may not know it's the warmth of Jesus, but they sense something is different. They sense something is real, and they're drawn to that. Then I believe you're making deposits into your heavenly leadership bank account. It shows in your character. And God sees that he can use you and trust you to be a builder in people's lives, a repairer of broken walls, a restorer of homes and paths or lifestyles for people to follow in a day and age of no morals, ethics, and integrity. We are now living in a day and age of ultra-sensationalism, a day and age of no morals, ethics, or integrity, a day and age when we don't respect the authority that is all around us, whether that's the police 
or the president's office or the teacher at the university. Everyone's out to get me is the mantra of today. And we're living in a, in a, in a generation that has no morals, ethics, or integrity. And God is saying, can I trust you to speak life into this generation that I could show them that you are a repairer of broken walls? I believe this is exactly what Isaiah was talking about in Isaiah 58 and 12, where he says, your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You'll be called repairers of broken walls, restorers of streets to dwell in. I believe God will be generous with his favor when he sees you operating that way in your life. And he says, I can use that. Remember, favor is nothing more than unmerited grace. It's something you don't deserve, but God pours his blessing into your life. Why, Pastor? Because he knows he could trust you to not fall in love with the blessing, but know where the blessing is coming from. Oh, hear it again. He will pour favor into your life because he knows you will fall in love not with the blessing, but with the one who is sending the blessing. Then God says, then I can use you. We see this perfect example with Moses and the relationship he had with God. Moses, yes, Lord, what's that in your hand? Well, it's just a stick. No big deal, Lord, just something I picked up in the wilderness. Throw it on the ground, Moses. And the Bible says when Moses threw his staff or his stick on the ground, it turned into a snake, and Moses ran from it. And I kind of laughed in my office when I read that because I would run too. (laughs) Sticks and spiders don't get along. Or I should say snakes and spiders don't get along. And and if I say snake, I'm going to either shoot it or I'm going to run. And I said, Lord, that's really funny. And the Holy Spirit whispered. said, no, Randy, it's not funny. Why, Lord? Because the snake represented the supernatural. See, in Egypt, a snake represented the supernatural at this time, and God was calling Moses to do something supernatural. He was calling him back to Ramses II, his half-brother or his stepbrother, and he was saying, Moses, in order for this to go off without a hook, you're going to have to have a supernatural move of my presence. And Moses is running from it. And there's no doubt in my mind, friend, that if we're going to reach this area, There's no doubt in my mind, if we're going to see a revival in this day and age, we need a supernatural move of God's presence without hype and without manipulation. If you believe that, say amen. So the snake started to slither. And the Lord says, Moses, pick it up by the tail. Now listen, friend, I've watched enough Animal Planet to know that you don't grab a snake by the tail. Why? Because it'll bite you. Thank you. And again, in study, I said, Lord, that is the most crazy request. Why would you have Moses grab it by the tail? And the Holy Spirit whispered. Because I already had my hand on the head of the snake directing the miracle. All he had to do was be obedient and follow along. You see, the miracle that's coming to this church and to your life is based in honor. Can you honor God? He's already directing the miracle. Now, what blows my mind is not that the stick became a snake, but that when God was finished using that old stick, the snake went back to being a stick. Once the supernatural was done, it went back to the ordinary. Here's the question. Can God bless you and use you in a supernatural way and you not get a big hit? 
Can God use you to witness to someone on the streets in a supernatural way? You're in the grocery store, maybe at Walmart, and the Holy Spirit whispers and says, see that one over there by the bananas? They're going through A, B, C, D, E, and you're hearing them. And you realize, well, maybe they're weary, Lord. You've waited on the Lord. You're feeling strong. You walk over to him. God uses you in a supernatural way. But can he trust you then after he uses you in a supernatural way not to fall in love with all those things and get a big head, but be satisfied to go back and be ordinary, ordinary, average, everyday stick? Lord, you can use me to sing in the praise team on this Sunday, but if they need me next Sunday in the nursery, that's fine too. Lord, if they need me in the nursery this Sunday, but maybe next week they need me in the parking lot, that's fine too. I just want to be used, Lord. I just want to be used. I want to honor you, Lord. Listen, friend, if you want to see more of God's goodness, then show honor in a greater way. In our base text in Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50, we see this illustrated in a very practical but yet dynamic way. Jesus was invited to the house of a Pharisee named Simon. And when you read the whole story, it is very easy to see that Jesus' attitude towards, or Simon's attitude towards Jesus is rather ambivalent. To his credit, he does address him as teacher, which showed some respect. But on the other hand, he did not exactly welcome Jesus with open arms. It seems like Simon asked Jesus to dinner to give him the once over. Maybe to try and trip him up with some hard religious political questions. Or some say that Simon had invited, many theologians believe, that Simon had invited other well-minded or like-minded Pharisees and they were going to throw political things at Jesus to trip him up. And then I've even heard others say, well, Simon was kind of like the mom and dad who invite the daughter's boyfriend over to the house to check him out, to see what he's really all about. Whatever the case, Simon thinks he's checking out Jesus, but he has no idea who he's dealing with. He has no idea that he's speaking to the one that said, let there be light. And there was light. He has no idea what's about to happen. For the social agenda is about to be turned upside down. Twitter is about to explode. Instagram is about to go crazy. Facebook is about to blow up. And Simon has no idea what's coming. Now in Jesus' day, guests were received with a kiss, given a bowl of water with which to wash the dust off their feet and a little perfumed oil for their hair. But Simon did not extend any of these customary courtesies to Jesus. In my study, I had to ask why. I can only suppose that Simon was so busy welcoming his really important guests, his friends and fellow Pharisees, that Jesus was overlooked. Did you hear what I just said? Jesus was overlooked. The one who fed thousands with a few loaves and fish. The one who walked on water. He was overlooked. Simon was so busy talking to all the really important people that Jesus was overlooked. I've got to ask you, are you so busy with the important people of your life that Jesus is overlooked in your home? So busy with your political agenda, so busy with all the things of life, paying the bills and running the kids and doing all these things that Jesus is overlooked in your life. 
Well, here's what's amazing about this story. Because the woman who wasn't supposed to be there, she changes everything. And I love that. Because here we have gathered the elite of the elite. And the vast majority of us sitting here would have never been invited to this party. Oh, no, it was the top one percenters that were there. The religious zealots and the politically minded. 99.9% of us that are here would have never been invited. However, the woman who wasn't supposed to be there, she changes everything. She changes everything. And the Bible says, while Jesus reclined at the table, a woman who was living a very sinful life came into the house with an alabaster jar of perfumed oil. Listen, friend, that's a very nice way of saying the streetwalker or the prostitute snuck in through the kitchen and came through the back door. Because that's exactly, when you go from the Greek to today's language, that's exactly what it was. She was a prostitute who snuck in the kitchen with the servant's help. And now she changes everything. And the Bible says, while Jesus reclined at the table, a woman was living a very simple life. She came with a very expensive alabaster jar of oil. She stood behind him and began to weep and wet his feet with her tears and wipe his feet with her hair. Notice, she doesn't go to his head for intimacy. She goes to his feet. And she begins to wash his feet. Now, in our Western mentality, we say, wait a second, Pastor. How is it that if he's at the table, she's washing his feet? I mean, wouldn't his table cover the feet? No, you have to understand, the cultural reference here, when they say reclining at the table, literally, they were reclining at the table. Jesus was laying on his side, most likely, with his hand propping up under some pillows. And so she walks behind him to his feet. A servant, a humble servant, she's going to give him honor. And the Bible says she begins to wet his feet with her tears. The Pharisee, he gets upset. Oil, perfume, in this instance, represented honor and blessing. You can say she poured her honor on Jesus. She poured her honor on Jesus. And the Pharisee is so upset, and he says something amazing. He says, why did she waste the oil? We could have sold the oil and given the money to the poor. Now, that sounds very awesome. It sounds very politically correct. But it's also the same thing that someone else said just a couple months later. His name in the chronology of event is Judas Iscariot. Judas said the same thing about Mary and Martha. Mary came and sat at Jesus' feet, if you remember. And she poured the oil on Jesus, knowing that they were getting ready to go into the Passover. He's about to go to the cross. And Mary pours the oil at his feet. And Judas says... Why was this not sold for 300 denarii? We know that because John gives us commentary in John chapter 12. Why was this not sold for 300 denarii? Here's what's mind-blowing, guys. 300 denarii in that time equals twenty-five dollars to $35,000 today. So she literally took twenty-five dollars to $35,000 worth of imported oil and poured it on Jesus. And Jesus tells Simon the Pharisee in Luke the same thing he told his wayward disciple. Leave the woman alone. She has done the best thing. That's mind-blowing. He tells Simon, leave the woman alone. Jesus knows that Simon is not motivated by the poor. He's motivated by political gain. Jesus also knows that Judas is not motivated by the poor. He's a robber, and he was stealing the money, and he was motivated by selfish things. They're not honoring God, but God sees the heart of man. God sees your heart. I'm so glad that God sees our heart 
and not the outward casing like man does. In essence, Jesus is saying, when you are pouring honor, you are doing the best thing. When you are showing honor, you are doing the best thing. Now, here's where the story takes off. And if you're not careful, you will miss Jesus' MO or his mode of operation. And you'll allow it to just fly over your head. And you'll miss one of the greatest diamonds in this story. But the Bible says, Simon is thinking. He hasn't verbalized it, but he's thinking in his mind. But he has no idea that Jesus knows his thoughts. Remember, Jesus was deity in diapers 30-some-odd years earlier. He's still the king of kings. And Simon is thinking at the dinner party, and he's thinking to himself, and he says this. Read it later. If this guy really knew who this was, he would not allow her to do those things. And this is where Jesus turns the tables, and he says, Simon, And I picture Simon as being this real flamboyant guy, you know, because he's just like a a politician. He's going to put on a show. Simon, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I'm here. Pastor Kent taught me that. Yes, Lord. (laughs) Simon, there were two that owed a great debt. One owed more than the other, but both of them couldn't pay. Okay, Lord, all right. So Simon, the man who owed the debt, since they both couldn't pay one greater than the other, he forgives both of their debts. Simon, who would love more? And Simon, in my mind, he's got all these people watching him. He's trying to advance his agenda. He's trying to think real quick. Okay, what's the PC thing they say? What's the politically correct thing to say? Uh, uh, Oh, I, I know, Lord. The one who was forgiven the most will love the most. And Jesus, he looks at Simon and says, Simon, do you see this woman? I love that because they all saw the woman. She's not supposed to be there. Their attitude was, you have to be like us before you become one of us. Jesus' attitude was, you come unto me and I'll clean you up. I'll take care of you. Do you see this woman, Simon? Yes, Lord. And he goes through this litany of things that Simon customarily should have done. In other words, Jesus is showing him his religious heart. Simon, you should have done these things, but you didn't do it. She did. You should have washed my feet, but she did. You should have honored me, but you didn't. Then Jesus says to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Notice she gave honor and she received favor. Oh, don't miss it. Again, what is favor? Nothing more than unmerited grace. See, when you pour out the oil of honor, motivated by a good heart that loves God, it then becomes the blessing that is returned back to you. No honor, no blessing. Limited honor, limited blessing. You will never receive what you are not willing to give. Oh, don't miss it. You will never receive what you are not willing to give. If you don't give honor, you won't have the honor to the level that God truly wants you to have. 
And some of you can go to a new level in your family and in your church. You can go to a new level and see breakthroughs like you've never experienced before, things you've been praying about for a long, long time, if you would simply begin to honor the people that God has put into your life in a greater way. In Mark chapter 6, it tells us that Jesus couldn't do any miracles in his hometown of Nazareth because of their unbelief. They said, there's nothing special about Jesus. We grew up with him. He's no big deal. Oh, if it happened today, it would be, oh, this is just Jesus. He played Little League down here with us. I I taught him in the third grade. Isn't this Mary and Joseph's son? Isn't he the carpet? Doesn't he work at MFA down there? It ain't no thing. Who is this guy? It was because of a lack of honor that the king of kings couldn't do any miracles in their midst. You say, well, no, pastor, it was an unbelief. Yes, it was an unbelief in who he was and honoring him. That's why Jesus says in Mark chapter 6, and he goes on in verse 4, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. Let me explain to you what was happening. They were so familiar with him that they developed the conformity that is bred from familiarity. The conformity that is bred from familiarity. Being so familiar with the Lord that they conform to the world and they lose their fear of him. You say, well, wait a second now. You've kind of lost me. What do you mean the fear? Like God's going to kill him? No, no. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But the fear of the Lord is a deep and unfathomable love for Jesus with an even deeper hatred for sin. Let me explain it this way. I fear my wife. Any other husbands fear your wife? Can't raise your hand, brother. Right now, raise raise it. Yeah. It's It's not a fear that she could beat you up. In this case, she probably can't. But it's a deep and unfathomable love for I have for my wife with an even deeper hatred for causing anything that would grieve her or harm her. So it is with the Lord. The fear of the Lord is a deep and unfathomable love for Jesus with an even deeper hatred for sin. And so I live my life publicly and privately with my wife so that it only brings her honor and grace. I fear my wife. I want to honor my wife. See, that's why I wear my wedding ring. If I don't wear my ring, it doesn't make me any less married or not, but it's a symbol of my honor to my wife. I fear her. And so I live my life publicly and privately in a manner that only brings her honor and grace. And so it is with the Holy Spirit. These people had a conformity that is bred from familiarity. They were so familiar with Jesus that they had no fear of him and they allowed the world to steal the miracles. Same principle applies today with the Holy Spirit. Where there's no honor of him during the week, there'll be no miracles on the weekend. No honor, no healing, no honor, no promotion. See, I believe the amount of power that God releases is directly tied to the amount of honor that you show in your life towards the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. And you know what's mind-blowing, friend? Is that... We blame the pastor if we don't see any miracles. If we don't see people getting saved, we blame the pastor. We say, well, pastor, why aren't you doing this? Well, pastor, why aren't you? Don't we pay you the big bucks? 
Aren't you supposed to be doing these things? Do you realize you can be a roadblock to the amount of anointing that your pastor operates in because of your lack of honor to the Holy Spirit during the week? Wow, real quiet in here now. I know they're all thinking, I'm so glad he's leaving. We can work that out, brother. No honor, no healing. You see, when my children were smaller, they would go swimming. We'd go to Table Rock, and they'd go swim, and they'd always get an ear infection. And we'd go to the doctor, and the doctor would say, the pediatrician would say, Mr. Ruiz, your children have ear infections. Yeah, okay, you know, they got a fever, and all right. You have to give them the erythromycin for 10 days. Even if they feel better after five days, you can't stop giving it to them, or they will build up an antibody, and it'll get worse, and we've got to do other things to deal with the same situation. But what he doesn't tell you is it's difficult to give that little, that little erythromycin to a kid throwing his head all over the place. And he's screaming and hollering. And when they start feeling good, you go, oh, it's okay. He feels better. But the next time it comes back worse. And you go back to the doctor and you say, hey, guy, this didn't work. And he goes, you didn't give the full amount, did you? Well, no. You know what I just did? I just robbed that doctor of his anointing. I just robbed him of four years of undergrad, four years of graduate school, two years of internship, and all his wisdom, I robbed him of it simply because I couldn't honor, oh my. And the same thing happens in church. You're struggling, you're going through a difficult time, you call the church, we pray with you, we counsel with you, you're feeling so much better. Oh, it's great. You take that erythromycin in the form of the Holy Spirit. Oh, I feel so much better. You get up and you walk out and you don't do the full counsel. You're not completely obedient. You don't take the things out of your life that you need to. You don't honor the Holy Spirit in your home like you should. And then you come back and you blame me or the pastor. It's called the conformity that is bred from familiarity. With that said, here's an eternal question. How much do you honor or give the Holy Spirit? How much honor do you give the Holy Spirit on an everyday basis? Is he the unseen guest at every meal? Do you live your life publicly and privately to give him honor that he is due? So with that in mind, it then becomes this. It's not should I drink, but why I don't. It's not should I smoke, but why I don't. Listen, gang, we can debate all day long the social drinking issue. And this generation today will look at me, and they know just enough of the Bible to be scary. And they'll say, well, pastor, you know, it doesn't say we can't drink. It says don't be drunk. And I'm not drunk. And they'll go back and forth. Now, listen, we can debate scriptures all day long. But when you have the fear of the Lord in your life, when you want to honor him, you set things aside because they're a hindrance to a greater anointing in your life. It's not should I drink, but why I don't. It's not should I smoke, but why I don't. Back to my wife. It's not should I flirt with other women, but why I don't. It's not should I laugh at that joke, but why I don't. It's not should I be in a certain place, but why I don't? It's, it's not should I do certain things. 
and it's but why I don't. And the reason I don't, my friend, the reason I don't, I don't want any hindrance to God's presence in my life. I don't want there to be any hindrance if I'm in Walmart or if I'm at the, some other store. I want the Holy Spirit to be able to whisper and I hear his voice and he can use me as his hand extended and see people saved, delivered, and healed, and then go get back in my truck and be ordinary, average, everyday, God's hand extended. If you believe that, can you clap your hands and say amen? Yeah. So it's why I don't. Taking this a step further, Paul says in Ephesians 6, Honor your father and your mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you might live long in the land. That's the commanded blessing, you know. If you show honor, all will be well with you. It should start in our own families with the people that we are the closest to. But I've seen people treat complete strangers better than they treat their own spouse. While I was speaking in a, in a mega church, you know, about four or 5,000 people, they had a Starbucks in their church lobby, you know, so I was in the back. And I was leaning against the glass wall trying to be incognito, hoping that they wouldn't recognize me. And I was watching all these people come in. And I watched, I looked through the glass window, and there was this guy about 27, 28 years old. He was so cute. He had little skinny jeans on. And he had a little goatee. He had the fade going, you know. He had, he had his eyebrows done just right. And he had his little jeans rolled up at the bottom with his patent leather brown shoes. He was just pimping it. And he was walking in, you know, shaking everybody's hand. Looked like he was running for office. And I'm watching him, and he was just Mr. GQ. Hey, how's it going? Good to see you. He walked in. Right behind him was the cutest little girl you've ever seen. Though she wasn't a little girl, it turned out to be his wife. I call her little girl, but she... He had her loaded down like a pack mule. She was pushing one stroller with this hand. She had a diaper bag over this shoulder, diaper bag over the other. She had a toddler in this hand who was doing the wet noodle, you know, like this, you know. Ah! And she's dragging him, and she's pushing him in to church. And I'm watching, and he would turn and look and see, take, come on. And he'd, I said, oh, my Lord. The ushers ran out to go help her. And I looked over at him. <laughs> I said, hey, pal, you're going to pay for that. It may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. It may not be next year or even in two or three years. But you're going to pay for that. He said, why, pastor? I said, you really want to know why? He said, yes. I smiled and said, because women are like volcanoes. Those of us that have been married a long time, you're laughing because you understand that. 44 years, me 30. We're just figuring it out, aren't we? He says, what does that mean? Women are like volcanoes. I said, what it means is just like Kilauea on the island of Hawaii. It's beautiful in the distance. It looks gorgeous. Everyone's building all these nice little condos around it. There's beautiful palm trees. Oh, everything's wonderful on the surface. But underneath, things are bubbling. And if you don't release the pressure, there's going to be an eruption, and you're going to go, where did that come from? And I'm going to say, duh, remember when you were just waving at everyone and not honoring your wife? Re remember when you had her loaded down?
Carly and I are going on 30 years of marriage, and people always ask me, Pastor, how do you do it? Well, we laugh a lot. In fact, it happened just the other day. We, were in Spring- we live in Springfield, and uh, I w- we were walking into Chili's, the restaurant, and I tripped over that little parking thing, and I went sprawling out, and she went into a belly laugh. I said, thanks, hon. Thanks. Appreciate it. <laughs> but there's been times that she's slipped in the store at Walmart, and I laugh. And then you check if they're okay, you know, afterwards. But we always treat each other with respect, even when we do not agree with each other. And there's times we don't. We do our best to not lose respect. My wife is organized. She's brilliant. She's a beautiful woman. She has everything in its perfect spot. Uh, she likes to go to Bed Bath & Beyond and get all those little boxes that organize everything, you know. And, and she has everything in its own little place. And that's how our closet is. You walk in the closet and everything's all in its little spot and stuff. Me, I just throw it in there and let it work itself out. <laughs> yeah. And the other day she came to me and she said, you know, this bugs me. I said, what bugs you? She goes, you bug me. She goes, Yes. You bug me. I go, why do I bug you? And she said, because I work so hard to put this together. Oh, you should see the elbows flying right now. I saw you tilt your head. I saw you. I saw you tilt your head. I work so hard to put this together. And it goes in one ear and out the other. I said, yeah, that's called selective hearing. Men are just blessed with it. Amen. And she said, it really irks me. So I didn't pay much attention to it until I couldn't find my golf shoes. (laughs) And I was late for a golf tournament with Convoy of Hope. And the guys in Springfield were waiting for me. And Hal Donaldson, the founder of Convoy of Hope. And they're calling me from the golf course. Hey, man, where are you? And I said, well, I can't find my golf shoes. And I didn't have the guts to ask my wife because she's going to tell me her favorite one-liner. Well, they can't walk away by themselves. Anybody else ever heard that one? They don't have feet. She's going to say they're probably where you left them, just like your car keys. So I'm in the closet, and I'm digging around the bottom, and I made the mistake of asking the Holy Spirit for help. I said, Holy Spirit, can you help me find my golf shoes? And I heard the Holy Spirit say, it wasn't an audible voice, but I heard him say, when are you going to start honoring your wife? By doing what she asks, so I can honor your prayers. Scooby-Doo moment. Oh. I instantly said, well, that can't be God. And then the Lord whispered, 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life. Listen now that your prayers may not be hindered. See, this is saying that if we don't show honor, our prayers may not be answered, the dreams may not come to pass. Could it be that we are not seeing miracles? Could it be that dreams aren't being fulfilled? Could it be, Lord, that I'm not seeing miracles in my ministry like lives being changed simply because I can't keep the closet clean? Lord, are you serious? 
Is it all about the closet? And the Holy Spirit just, shut up. It's just not the closet. It's that you're driving her to frustration. You're not honoring her. You're not honoring the pastor. You're not honoring whatever the situation may be. It's saying that we could see miracle after miracle if we would simply begin to honor the person at the grocery store, the coach and the umpire at Little League, honor those that are in authority. It's the little foxes that spoil the vine. It's the little acts of dishonor, disrespect that bring strife, division, and discord. And I made a decision that day that I was going to honor God by honoring my wife. Even in the little things like the closet. I truly believe that if I didn't honor my wife, we wouldn't be having the success we're having nationally in our ministry. Ladies, it also says, why is it especially important that you honor your husband? Honor is one of your husband's greatest needs. You can be saying the right thing, but if you're doing it with an attitude, he's not going to hear a single thing you say. A single thing you say. If there's the slightest bit of dishonor, Hebrews 13 and 4, give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. Listen, I was watching the, uh, a television interview a while back. The topic was the transgender issues at Target and the open relationships in America. It was at the height of that Target transgender issue thing. And the interviewer was asking a pastor, a very well-known pastor, he said, don't you think it's time to bring the Bible kicking and screaming into the 21st century? And I didn't even hear what the pastor said because I was talking back to the TV. I do that often, especially if I come across Oprah. That's a whole other subject. And I said, no, 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 no. It's not time to bring culture kicking and screaming back to what the Bible teaches. That's exactly what we need to do. We need to bring the culture back to what the Bible teaches because that is where the problems are all coming from. We've moved away from what God is teaching. And either we're going to accept the Bible as the source of truth on marriage, family, and every other topic and honor God's word in our lives or we're not. And do you know that it's impossible to honor people today in this day and age of political correctness and no morals, ethics, and integrity? It's impossible to do this without a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. You've got to have it. Ephesians 5.18 says, Be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves. In the Greek, it is implied that it's done over and over and over again. And I would strongly suggest that when you get up in the morning and you're heading to the shower, that's a good time to say, Lord, would you fill me with the Holy Spirit afresh and anew? I'll be honest with you, gang. There's no possible way I could do what I do if it wasn't for a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. And I have found where there is honor, there is unity. Where there is honor, there are people getting along. Where there's honor and respect, people are being healed and set free. Because when you pour out the oil of honor, it'll come back to you in, in God's blessing and favor. But the sad reality is, you may be around people that are very dishonorable. The sad reality is, sometimes you have to honor people by faith. And treat them, oh, listen now, and treat them not the way they are, but the way you want them to become. Now, when you honor someone with 
who is dishonorable, and you give someone respect that doesn't really deserve respect, when you are kind, even when they are not kind, you're sowing seeds for them to become the way you're treating them. But in our minds, we say, well, you know what? You talk that way to me, I'm going to talk that way to you. You treat me bad, I'm going to treat you bad. But listen, you never make a dishonorable situation better by pouring more dishonor on it. Another sad reality is there are people here who have family members who do not deserve honor. I want just the pianist to come, just the pianist quickly. And I'm going to say that again. The sad reality is that there are people in a room this size who have people in your family that do not deserve honor. You say, well, what do you mean by that, Pastor? Maybe you have a father that abused you, a brother-in-law that lied about you, a family member that you're so angry at you can't even be in the same room with them. And you're sitting here, and I am not ignorant to know that after 30 years of ministry, I know these things happen. And you're saying, come on, Pastor Randy. How am I supposed to honor my father and my mother? I hate them. I have looked into the eyes of people who have told me that exact line. I can't tell you how many times. I hate them. Why do you hate them? Well, they sexually abused me or they lied about me. Or... There's so much pain. And I realize you may not be at a point where you can interact with them. But it's an act of honor just to pray for them to change. Hear it again. It's an act of honor just to pray for them to change. And then pray for the Holy Spirit to fill you with a supernatural love. That you can love like you've never been Hurt. Love like you've never been hurt. And I could preach a whole message on that topic. Love like you've never been hurt. How do we do that, Pastor? It's only possible by giving your life to Christ and a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. Only Jesus can bring those pieces back. Only the Holy Spirit can fill your life that way. And again, I wish I coined that phrase, love like you've never been hurt. It actually comes from an ex-Major League Baseball player by the name of Satchel Paige. Satchel Paige was the second man to be brought into the Major Leagues after Jackie Robinson. In fact, he, pre- he, he played and pitched for the Kansas City Monarchs. His first year in Kansas City, as he walked out, they were cursing at him. They did not honor him. They were calling him that dreaded N-word, and they were spitting at him. So Jackie Robinson walked out on the mound, and he told the outfield, I want you to come sit behind second base. And he told the infield, I want you to go sit in the dugout. You won't be needed. He then pitched a no-hitter, striking out every batter for nine innings. The Kansas City Monarchs were playing a double-header. He walked into the manager and he said, I will be pitching the second game. He said that he did this often whenever the other team needed an attitude adjustment. He walked out, told the outfield to sit behind second base, told the infield to go into the dugout, and he pitched another no-hitter. As he's walking off the field, a journalist who was standing there 
The man who earlier that morning was cursing at him and laughing at him and throwing food at him, not honoring him at all, he now looks at him and he says, Mr. Page, do you have a moment? The satchel page walked over and he said, yes, sir. And this journalist said, how do you put up with the hurt? How do you put up with the pain? How do you put up with the dishonor? And Satchel Page, a man of many, many quotes, he said this. He said, well, sir, my wife and I, we come to the park and I work like I don't need the money. Then we go home and we dance in our house together like no one's watching. We just enjoy each other. And when we finish dancing, my wife and I, he said, get on our knees. And we ask the good Lord above for a love like we've never been hurt. Fill us with a love like we've never been hurt. That's where we are right now. And based on this morning and based on tonight, I believe there are people here that are about to experience the love of God. You're about to experience the presence of the Holy Spirit. And when you start to honor people and treat them the way you want them to become, and you're kind even when they're not kind, you're loving even when they're not loving, little by little you're making deposits into your bank account. And that person will begin to be lifted higher and higher and higher. And if he will just keep pouring the honor in, then before long, they'll be living the level of God that created them to live. Not because you fought with them. Not because you treated them the way they treated you. But because you were a person of honor and prayer. You just kept pouring it into their life. Because God filled you with his presence. And gave you a supernatural ability to love like you've never been hurt. Well, they don't deserve it, Pastor. I know it, and neither did you. And yet Jesus, he poured into your life. Let me close with this. And then we're going to begin to pray. My sons and I are huge St. Louis Cardinal fans, and we went to Bush Stadium. It was a doubleheader several seasons ago. And we knew right where my seats were, and at the beginning of the second game, my boy said, hey, Dad, uh, it's your turn to go buy the hot dogs. I said, guys, it's always my turn to go buy the hot dogs. My son Christian is 27. My son Morgan is 25. My son Quentin is 22. And they're all, they, they don't eat till they're full. They eat till they're tired. I'm tired now, Dad. And so I went to go buy the hot dog. As I'm coming back through the tunnel at Bush Stadium, 30,000 or so people, I could see my boy sitting right there, and the usher had pulled one of those ropes across, and they were funneling everybody all around the stadium. And I have all these hot dogs in my hand, and I realized it's going to take me 35 to 40 minutes to walk through this crowd. And my boys were watching me. They were all staring right at me, and there were people that were ducking under the rope right in front of the usher, and I thought to myself, well, that's what I'll do. I'll just duck under the rope and go sit down and And I went to duck, and the Holy Spirit whispered. And he said, no, 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 no. Are you a man of honor? Yes, Lord. 
I walked around, and I came back some 30 minutes later, and I handed the guys the hot dogs, and my oldest son, Christian, said, hey, Pop, these are cold. Shut up. And they were laughing. But listen, as we sat down, my oldest, who was sitting next to me, he leans into my ear, and he goes, hey, Dad, all three of us knew there was no way you were ducking under. It wasn't till later that I shared with them my struggle in my flesh. And I whispered that very moment, Holy Spirit, thank you that I honored you. That I just showed my boys a picture of honor. I just showed my boys. I didn't want to, Lord. And that's where we are in this culture. Some of you right now are going to come to this altar and you're going to ask God for a fresh infilling to love like you've never been hurt. To honor people that don't deserve it. And you're going to have to honor them by faith. There are others that you're going to come to this altar. We're going to pray for your healing. Physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, financially. But the key is, you've got to come with a hungry heart. Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, fill me. By an upraised hand, how many can sense the presence of the Lord just all over this room? Can you? Can you? He's here then I want you to stand right now. All the other musicians, come please. I want you to stand. And I want you to lift your hands right now. And I just want you to say, Holy Spirit, I want to honor you. I want to honor you. And I want you to say with me, you don't have to yell it, but just say, honor is the currency of elevation. Would you say that? Honor is the currency of elevation. Now with your hands lifted, would you just begin right now to honor the Holy Spirit? Begin to make decisions in your life. There are some of you that you need to honor your spouse and you're not doing it. Some of you are not living an honorable life with the Holy Spirit and you're a hindrance to the flow of anointing in this church. And God is saying, no, no, you need to get your life right. You need to do it because I want to flow through you. I want to use you in an amazing way. I want to use you. I want to use you. So right now, for the next 30 seconds, I want you to begin to tell the Lord right now, Lord, you can use me. Lord, use me. Lord, I I don't want my heavenly bank account, Lord, to be in the red. I've often wondered how many opportunities we miss to come out higher, to see more of God's favor in our life, in our family, because we're not showing honor to those in authority. God is watching. And he's saying, can I trust you? Can I trust you? So right now, all over the room, let's just honor him. Let's honor him. Let's honor him. And as you begin to sing this song, just say, Lord, this is my prayer. I just want more of you, Lord. I just want more of you.